My name's Jules, or Julian. Uh, if you're listening online, you don't like it, my name's Christian Walsh. <laughs> Feel free to email him. And I want to start with a confession. I have a, a sad hobby. It's only a little hobby. And I like listing top tens. And if I'm bored, if I can't get to sleep, I list top tens. So I started with top ten beaches. Number one is Marlow Sands. I've had top ten cities. I think number one is York, but it could be Rome. I even have top ten bridges. And number one is Tar Steps. And you might not be able to recognize that ancient grey relic, but it's Paul Bennett that stood on Tar Steps. <laughs> And I should be in trouble with that. And I'm, just glad, I'm glad Jad Nia is, is, is not um, Will Smith, unless I'll be attacked in a moment. <laughs> I've not had my top ten books yet. I can't finalise it. But if I did have my top ten books, this tiny little book would be in it, and it's called Journey Into Life. And it changed my life. Uh, when I was uh, 16, and it was just before my O-levels and in the months just after my O-levels, uh, I was uh, playing badminton at a Methodist church hall. I, I, I knew the church. I was in the boys' brigade there. And it was a great social time for, for teenagers there. And then a guy came and spoiled it by coming along and telling people about Jesus and how to become a Christian. And he took people off to a little side room and they came out saying they'd become a Christian. And I knew that was rubbish because I was British. I'd been to Sunday school and I was good. So I knew I was a Christian. But I thought about things and in that thinking about it, somebody gave me that little book, Journey Into Life. And what struck me, probably because you know, my mind was on exams, there was a, there was a little illustration and it said, if a pass grade for an exam is 50% and you've got 49%, you failed just as much as if you got 1%. And I thought it was only really bad people that weren't Christians, yeah? But it made it clear that I had failed because I had sinned. And it said, you know, from Romans uh, chapter 3, all have sinned, everybody has sinned and fallen short of what God wants. But it went on to say, the gift of God is eternal life. The free gift, it's where there were graces, that free gift from God is eternal life. And it made a difference to me, that statement, and I, I thought, wow, I'm not a Christian. I need to think about this. And I thought about it over the months. And, and I went home one night and I prayed to God that he would forgive my sins because I wanted to give my life over to him. And when I did that, something happened to me. Uh, eternal life, that eternal relationship, the word is Zoe. It's that spiritual life. And I felt something happen in my body. Great uh, preacher from the, you know, over 200 years ago, John Wesley said, my heart was strangely, strangely warmed. God did something for me. And that was... Only a few years ago. I worked it out 47 years ago, nearly. But I want to tell you that um, there's no such thing as a free gift. Now, I might sound heretical. I nearly made that the title today. And I wish I had now, because I'd have got a lot more hits on YouTube if it was there's no such thing as a free gift. 
but I decided the title should be Covenant of Grace. And we're going to look at at Mark, and it's from Mark 14. So even though it's Palm Sunday, we're not doing the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, because that was before in Mark's Gospel. So I've got Mark 14 to to give the word from, and I've chosen quite a long passage from there, because I thought it was good to hear it in its entirety. So if you're sitting comfortably... I will start from Mark 14, 22. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them, and they drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it in the new kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Then they sang a hymn and went to the Mount of Olives. On the way, Jesus told them, all of you will desert me, for the scripture says, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter said to him, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter declared emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And the others vowed the same. They went to the olive groves called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch for me. And he went on a little farther and fell into the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And then he returned and found the disciples asleep. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them again and prayed the same prayer as before. When he returned to them, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open and they didn't know what to say. And when he returned to them the third time, he said, go ahead and sleep. Have you rest, but know the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. Passage starts with Jesus and his disciples celebrating the feast of the Passover. Uh, Passover in the Jewish calendar is next Friday going into Saturday. And today they are celebrating the Passover And the Passover is when they remembered what God had done to release his people from Egypt. And Moses had gone to Pharaoh and he said, we need our people released from slavery. God said this has got to be done. And Pharaoh doesn't want to. He's got these people in slavery. And over a year, nine plagues come. Because Moses said it's got to happen. And God's demonstrating his power that he wants his people released. And he is still ignored. 
And then something which is probably in our mind is we think of a nice fluffy God and forget that God is a God of righteousness and judgment with the power of life and death. The nuclear option in a way happens and God says, you know, you've not obeyed me, you've not done what I've said and the firstborn are going to be killed. And if you want to, that not to happen, you have to get a lamb and sacrifice, put the blood on the doorposts. And if you haven't got a lamb to do that, because they were slaves, so they, you know, there must be quite a poverty, you go with your friends together, your neighbours, and you do that. And if you do that, you will be safe. And again, that seems quite strange to us, because I think of lambs being nice fluffy things. I saw them last Sunday bouncing around in the Cotswolds. And if I have to buy the lamb chops, I like it in the vacuum seal pack. And it's all removed from the blood and gore of it, yeah? In this case, they did get to eat it. But when you're in an agricultural economy, your sacrifice, your gift, something that costs you, is your animals. So it's not like us putting you know, money on the plate or putting it from a bank account. This was their sacrifice of an animal. And they were saved, those people who'd done that. And Pharaoh released them, and they were able to get out of Egypt. And God set up the Ten Commandments. They called them the covenant that they were going to obey, and they hadn't obeyed it. Yeah? And this is probably 1,300 years later that John the Baptist comes along, and he says, you need to get ready you need to repent. And when Jesus, when Jesus goes to him, he says, behold, the Lamb of God. Yeah? So that's what was happening, and that's what they were remembering. And at this festival of remembrance, Jesus broke bread and drank wine with them. And what he was doing, he says... He was making a binding agreement. He was telling them of the agreement with his people, that covenant. Now, we don't use the word covenant that much. We don't use that as a legal agreement. It's not really in our language. If you bought a house, you might have had a covenant on it. Uh, when we went out, the, the solicitor told us what the covenant was. Couldn't keep chickens that you weren't meant to have trees and you weren't meant to put a caravan on your drive. And he says, actually, it was only done when the builder did it so the estate looked nice when he was developing it. Yeah? He didn't even think it was that major. Now, you do have to obey them. Somebody could take, you know, take legal advice if I kept chickens. Well, I think we had neighbours who keep nobody really bothered. But he was a bit watered down. And the other covenant that many of us have got is when we got married. That was a legal covenant. And you have to get the words right. So, Christian Angie, when the wedding's coming up in the time, you have to get the words right. So, when uh, I married JP and Kerry, I was so worried you have to get every single word right because it's a legal binding agreement. But even in society, that's got watered down, you know. Married at first sight, you get married, and then you decide whether you want to stay with them. A covenant was this solid agreement. Now, in Old Testament times, when they did this, sometimes, apparently, 
they would cut an ox or a cow in half to signify this binding agreement. And I'm so glad Jesus didn't do that because it's so awkward when you, you know, you're doing communion up here and you're trying to peel the top off the little communion glass and get the, get the wafer out. So just imagine the mess if you've got to you know, get a cleaver out and chop a cow or an ox in half. So they could also have a covenant by taking a meal together. Now, it was a, solid, a solemn agreement. And they knew you couldn't break that covenant. There were some um, uh, commentators who said, you know, you're at risk of death if you broke it. Most say, actually, if you broke a covenant, you were excommunicated. There was no going back. You wouldn't had nothing to do with you forever if you broke a covenant. No? That's how solemn, that's how serious it is. So the disciples hear Jesus talking about covenant. They share the meal with him. And as they are you know, going to uh, the Mount of Olives, Peter vows that he won't stop. He'll stand with him, yeah? He'll be there for him. And Jesus says, before the cock crows twice, you'll have denied even knowing me three times. And they go on up to the Mount of Olives, probably because it's a cooler, quieter place to be. The Passover's been going on. And into the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus uh, prays. Because he knows there's no such thing as a free gift. What he is going to do so that people can have that everlasting relationship with God is to pay the price. And he refers to it as his cup of suffering. It's a sacrifice that is going to be made. And it's not an easy sacrifice. Peter, later on in 1 Peter 2, 22-24, says, He never sinned, never ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross, so that we can be dead to sin and alive for what is right. Jesus realises what he's going to go through is actually going to be an incredibly painful experience. He says he's distressed by it. And, you know, as a kid, I was thinking, well, you know, it's a horrible execution, you know, what, what he's going through, what the, the Romans did. It was, was something like a spectacle, wasn't it? It wasn't just chopping their heads off very quick. This was, you know, a long time suffering, so they were on show for breaking the law. They suffered a horrible, painful death. But Peter says he personally carried our sins on his body in the cross. There was a isolation from God that he died alone and he carried our sins and that was a spiritual pain as well yeah and this is what he knew he had to go through for us and this is there he's praying about this he is suffering with this and then 
he is betrayed. Now, we think about betrayal of, of Judas coming, kissing with the guards and having his 30 pieces of silver, and we can think of that as the betrayal. But at the time Jesus went through this, I think this is just as much the betrayal. When he needed the support of the disciples, they were asleep. And I knew if I was in that situation, I'd certainly be asleep. That was, you know, a long day, a prayer meeting, and I'm not sure I'd keep, keep awake. And the only way I could keep awake would be probably making lots of lists. So I'd have my top ten, top ten miracles I'd be going through, so I'd be just as useless even if I'd kept awake. But that's what Jesus went through. And then just imagine as well, when he's there, before the council, being humiliated, the cock crows for the second time. And he knows that Peter has denied him. Yeah? Three times. This is the person who vowed he'd be there with him. Yeah? Now, I've got a spoiler alert for next week's sermon. Because he goes to the cross and he carries those sins. And then... Mary Magdalene, on the Sabbath, goes to the tomb, and it's empty, and there's a messenger, and the messenger says, he is risen, go tell his disciples and Peter. He gets a special mention, this person who vowed, he, whatever happens, he'd be there, he gets a special mention. Now, I want to tell you what would happen if it was me. I would be saying to Mary Magdalene, go tell the other disciples, you can have Nicodemus, you can have Joseph of Arimathea, but you're not having Peter, yeah? Because he has broken the rules. Now, I know I would do this, because as a teacher, I started an excellent school in Gloucester, and the one weakness I thought with a head teacher was he favoured the rugby team. So if anybody put the rugby team in detention and they got a match, he'd get rid of the detention. <laughs> so when I was in senior management, I knew that was never going to happen. So if you broke the rules and you got a football match, tough, you did the detention. Unfortunately, the PE department agreed, yeah? Because you were off the team, yeah? Jesus says, go tell the go get my team and make sure Peter is included. He says, and Peter. Why? Because the covenant he made is a covenant of grace. I don't know how this, I like having the pictures because I think it's good to have visuals. And I searched for a copyright-free picture of grace. And they were all like this one. Very elegant ladies with poses looking very graceful. I couldn't find one like this one. I think I had to search betrayal or hurt. Because what I wanted to think was, you know, what was Jesus feeling? What had he gone through? That we can think of grace being quite easy, but there's, you know, the betrayal and the hurt. You can't forgive if you think nothing's happened, yeah? He'd gone through this, and he was forgiven and given out his grace. You probably know... Grace is neatly described as God riches at Christ's expense. But I think sometimes I forget the expense, the cost of that grace.
grace. I forget the hurt he must have felt, the pain that he went through. The Greek word I said for, uh, for grace is charis. It means unearned, unmerited favor, total acceptance, without getting anything back. Yeah? So it's not like you've been invited to a wedding. What type of gift shall I give because I've been invited? Yeah? Grace is extra. Then you get nothing back. It's just given out to us. And we have been given that because of what Jesus did for us. And I love the words again. And Peter, he says it to him because he's invested in Peter. He's given his grace to Peter and it's not going to be taken away. And I would say, in my journey into life, or a path called that path, it's grace that's been in there all the time. And you're talking about the path to take. I've taken the wrong path on so many times, so many wrong turns. I reckon there's been as many valleys of doubt as there's been peaks of faith. But the journey's there, and 47 years later, I'm still on it because of that covenant of grace. Now, I want to end in a couple of minutes with another top 10. And Keith Allen, you're in the top 10. Top 10 sermon illustrations, right? Now, Keith does not preach very often. I reckon this is over 20 years ago, and it stayed uh, in my mind and certainly my wife's mind as well. And he got up in church in this sermon, and he held up, I think it was a Duplo, had to go find a Duplo, and a fish slice. And he says, sometimes we feel that God is doing that to us, yeah? We feel we're not worthy, not good enough, and God slaps us down. And that's not how it is. He did say that. He made it very clear, because God loves us. God's grace is upon us, yeah? Jesus paid that price for that. And Peter knew, took time, but he knew with what was said, he got that grace on him, that love for him was inclusive. He was in there. He got that covenant that gave him his love, that God wanted to build him up, give him life in all its fullness. I read this morning, I was reading, and John 1.16, it says, and from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. So I put the, the Duplo down, and instead of being hit on the head, just grace and grace, and grace, and grace, and grace is being poured on us. He has raised us up that we can say, Abba, Daddy, and have life in all its fullness. And you can stand up and you preach, and you can listen, and you can think, oh yeah, that's good for everybody. But I think God would say to us, that's for each one of you and Peter, yeah? He'd name you, so... My covenant of grace is for you, Andy, yeah? For you, Kath. For you, Hendrik, yeah? He puts his name on it for us. That's his relationship. He's our dad. And what Jesus did for us on that cross enabled us to have that covenant that as we've said sorry for what we've done, 
We live that life of grace, and it is not broken. At this point, we normally pray, and we're not going to. We're going to sing, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And there's a verse in there, and it says, Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. And as a 17-year-old, we used to sing, love so amazing, so divine, shall have my life, my soul, my all.